Welcome to another podcast in the OLAC Lead the Way podcast series. This podcast presents the first part of a two-part interview with Kathy Lassiter. We call the podcast Courage and Educational Leadership, Part 1. The interview is conducted by Deborah Telfer, Director of University of Cincinnati's Systems Development and Improvement Center. Now let's turn to Kathy. Would you mind introducing yourself briefly? My name is Kathy Lassiter. I am an author consultant with Corwin Learning. Uh, my previous jobs before being a consultant, I served in the Norfolk Public School System as a district office administrator, as a school principal, and a high school teacher, um, working in a high-poverty, high-minority school district, um, and really learning and, and understanding uh, what it takes to bring improvement to students in, in, in a school system that some would say was very challenging. It was challenging, but they may have said that it was not possible. And in my experience in that school district, learned that it was very possible. And that's guided my work ever since then. Some real interest in, uh, in working with similar school districts and helping them do their work uh, so that they can achieve their goals and overcome the challenges that they, that they have. And, um, you know, 30 years of experience in education and have still going strong, you know, loving the work I'm able to do in this role. In your book about courage for school leaders, you talk about the concept of everyday courage. Can you elaborate on what you mean by everyday courage and explain why it's important? In the book, Everyday Courage for School Leaders, I was very deliberate about the title, Everyday because I wanted everyone to know that this is not about heroism. And although we have many, many examples of heroic principles around the country, I wanted to focus on the courage it takes every day to do the job well. School leadership is not for the meek or the weak. Why do you apply the word courage to the work of school principals? The job has become so complex and so demanding that a conversation about courage is in order. And so just that term every day sends a message that this is a daily practice. It is not uh, occasional. It is required every day in making very tough decisions and facing very complex issues. Can you provide an example showing why courage is needed for the everyday work of principals? Let's just take an example from the new professional standards for educational leaders that replace the ISLIC standards adopted in 2015. There's a real agenda in those standards around social justice, equity, uh, biases, inclusion, um, you know, a lot of really heavy topics that principals are expected to lead and expected to act upon when it comes to inclusion, equity, and social justice in their schools. To get to your part of the question, why is it needed? It's needed because the principal speaks for the students. The principal is the student's voice when it comes to the quality of education, to the level of inclusion, to the level of um, welcoming feel of their school, to cohesive classroom cultures that are absolutely essential for student learning. And if we want to have all students reaching their fullest academic potential, then we have to create school cultures like that. So what that means is you have to address issues um, of equity that mean, can we predict our graduation rates by race and gender? 
are our discipline referrals predictable by race and gender? Is it predictable who's going to be identified for gifted and talented? What are the demographics in our AP classes? These are very difficult topics to talk about, but they are absolutely essential leadership topics that our principals are expected to to address. And so courage is absolutely essential. Can you talk a little more about what you mean by the word courage? Courage has been something that has been of interest uh, over hundreds and hundreds of years. And so to narrow it down for courage related to school leadership, I kind of landed on four specific types of courage that are needed every day in decision-making and leadership in schools. And so first I'll tell you those four parts of courage and then just give you a little bit of a definition of each one. And then, of course, throughout our conversation, I'll relate back to one or more of these types of courage. To help our listeners, I just want to clarify that the four types or domains of courage are the broad realms of human interaction in which anyone, including school leaders, of course, exercise courageous acts. Later on, when you talk about cups of courage, in fact, the three cups of courage, you are talking about the specific areas of leadership practice in which courageous actions result in effective leadership. Because this is a podcast and we can't share visuals, I think our listeners might want to imagine a set of concentric circles in which the four domains of courage are in the outer ring, the three cups of courage are in the middle ring, and specific practices are in the center. In this first podcast, let's get started with some definitions of the four types or domains of courage, especially as these domains help shape what school leaders do. The four types of courage are moral courage, disciplined courage, empathetic courage, and intellectual courage. Of course, moral courage is going to be that uh, moral compass that leaders have to follow and a set of core values that they must follow in doing what they believe is right for students and advocating for students when things are not in their best interest. And then disciplined courage is the idea that you're gonna stand steadfast and um, hold to those decisions even when politics and, and other distractions getting in the way, that student doing what's right for students is really the challenge that many leaders face because of all of these complexities of the job. But discipline, courage, being deliberate, being steadfast, being strategic in your decisions, decisions and making decisions based on the greater good for the school. Um, and intellectual courage, really understanding that it's the leader's responsibility to stay current on research and to make decisions and lead changes that are based on what the research says is best. It's not okay just to know what's in the research, but you need to act on that research and push changes and advocate for changes that the research shows are best practice. And then finally, empathetic courage, acknowledging that we have personal biases, and that's something that every human being has. And to intentionally try to move away from your personal biases in order to live vicariously to others, meaning that when decisions are made and changes are in order, to feel for the people who have to implement those changes, to be empathetic for the fact that change is hard, and to uh, understand that Schools are made up of human beings, not robots, and it's very important to be able to empathize with people um, as they move through 
a complex world of education and trying to do what's best for students. What is the relationship between courage and instructional leadership, and how do they affect organizational performance? Instructional leadership, of course, is one of the major responsibilities of a school leader, advocating for the best instructional practices for students, leading the instructional program, providing credible feedback to teachers so that they can improve their performance. And I go back to research by McKinsey and Company, and I love this quote from them, is that the only way to improve outcomes is to improve instruction. But how do you go about improving instruction? That's not an easy job. Um, So first and foremost, school leaders have to know instruction. You have to spend the time to know what are best practices and specifically how to implement those best practices in the classroom and how to help teachers and lead teachers in the implementation of those practices. And so for everyday courage, many times you are working with staff who are not at the proficiency level yet in some of these um, important practices, or you are working with staff members who, for whatever reason, don't believe in, don't want to, uh, not able to implement some of the changes that you're advocating, and, and that's a challenge for leaders because you have to, to address those issues. It's not okay to leave a teacher in a classroom who's delivering less than what is best for students. And so staying current on that research, tapping into your your intellectual courage, acting on what you know is best for students. So what are the implications for a principal who doesn't really understand the research about effective instruction? Well, it takes courage for people to admit what they know know and admit what they don't know and to seek help from others who can help build their capacity. And that might be seeking help from department heads in your school or master teachers in your school or reaching out to mentors or reaching out to central office staff, reaching out to other means of support to build your capacity to lead your instructional program. And sometimes that's a tough place to be for a principal because it's hard to admit that you may not know what you need to know to do your job. Um, And instead of trying to cover that up, it's important to recognize it and to learn what you need to know so that you can be an effective leader. Wonderful. What role do districts play in supporting the development of courageous school leaders? Central office staff play a huge role in the success of principals. Fortunately, what the research shows is that oftentimes central office supervisors of principals in particular sometimes don't have the skills themselves to lead principals and to help principals develop into the strongest leaders they can be. And so I would say that not only is it important for central office staff to support courageous leaders, but they too become courageous leaders in recognizing the skills that they need in order to lead principals. Um, Research led by the Wallace Foundation investigating the links to student achievement shows that one of the main things that central office leaders can do to impact student achievement in schools is to build the collective sense of efficacy of their principals. That means having principals feel and believe and understand that they have the support of the central office and that they have the abilities and skills to do the job that they need to do in their schools. Principals who lack that sense of efficacy and lack the collective sense of efficacy with their colleagues at the principal level um, oftentimes will present information from the central office through the lens of central office said we had to do this. 
I don't necessarily agree, but this is what we have to do. As opposed to accepting the responsibility and accountability for pushing a district's agenda forward and saying, these are the things that we have been doing in our school, and this is how this initiative fits in to the vision that we have for our school. And being able to present that agenda to staff, um, knowing that you have the support and you will have the assistance that you need from central office staff to get that done. What does support from central office administrators look like? Research shows that central office people come to their job with one of two orientations. They may have a collaborative orientation or an authoritative orientation. And of course, you can imagine that the collaborative orientation and leadership style of central office people has a much greater impact and much more success in seeing change in principal leadership because principals see their central office supervisors as partners in their work and as people that they can trust and as people that they can turn to when they need assistance. If on the flip of that, if principals only hear from their supervisors when there's a directive to be made, when there's a report that has to be given, when there is something wrong that has to be corrected and there is no relationship and there is no collaboration and there is on the principal's view, no understanding from the central office of the unique challenges, communities, school populations that the principal has, then the relationship is not one that will glean a lot of change, trust, and uh, capacity building from central office to the principalship. Having support from the central office seems very important and also seems to involve courage. Can these leaders learn to be courageous? What steps can principals and other district and school leaders take to practice courage in their professional lives? That's a great question about courage, and that's really what was fascinating in the research to learn what were neuroscientists researching in the way of courage development. People are really starting to, to take a look at where does courage reside in the human body and can you intentionally activate courage when you need it, when you're in difficult situations? So what can principals do to develop their courage? What the neuroscience shows, this was a study in Israel, that there is a center in the brain that is a courage center that was not known until these scientists at the Wiseman Institute in Israel actually put people in an MRI machine and they scared them to death with snakes in an MRI <laughs> and measured their brain waves to see what happens when you're in a fearful situation. And then what happens in the brains of people who conquer their fear and are able to they push a button to advance or retreat a snake. And so these people were pushing a button to advance the snake closer to their, their bodies but they were able to track the brainwaves in the brains of people who had the courage to face this fear. And what they found is that by intentionally activating this courage center, it calms the fear response in the brain and causes people to even have more courage. So the old saying that you have to face your fears is absolutely correct. And so it takes deliberate, intentional work on this particular, um, you know, whatever it is you find fearful in order to develop the courage you need to do the job. So here's, here's a scenario. What I hear most of the time from principals is that they fear and are very apprehensive about having difficult conversations with teachers 
or they anticipate having very difficult conversations with parents who are sometimes really difficult to deal with. You know, they will avoid the conversation. They will have an AP sit in the conversation. They, you know, will try to just hope that the situation goes away so that they don't have to have this talk. And so really what they have to do is to understand that to get over this fear, to do a very critical part of your job, plan the best you can for the conversation, but you have to do it. I had a deputy superintendent tell me when I was a principal, you have to face it to erase it. And that is absolutely down the courage line. You have to face something, deal with it, and each time you deal with it, you get better and better. And from experience, I can say, the more that you face that situation, prepare and learn from your mistakes, take your lumps along the way, that's no longer going to be a fear. You will conquer that fear and move on, and that won't be a part of your job that you feel apprehension about. How do you develop the courage? Know that everybody has courage. Everybody can activate courage. That's what the neuroscience says, as well as the behavioral science. And um, face it to erase it. Could we shift gears a little for a minute and talk about implications for Ohio in particular? I firmly believe that the leadership in Ohio is committed to an equity agenda. They're committed to an every student achieving uh, philosophy, and it's going to take courage to get there. Ohio's approach to improvement is grounded in the use of the Ohio Improvement Process and Ohio's leadership development framework. At the heart of all improvement efforts is Ohio's commitment to equity and ensuring that equitable opportunities to learn are provided to each child. In what ways does everyday courage play a role in the use of inclusive instructional leadership practices focused on ensuring each child's success? In the Ohio improvement process, the focus is on developing leaders and teachers who use a process to understand where their strengths are, where their gaps are, and how they can work together to close those gaps. That is an absolutely essential function in every school system and every school to achieve um, growth and hit performance goals for every student that is served. And the longevity of the focus of this particular process in Ohio um, is laudable because in most states, we jump, you know, politically from one thing to another thing to another thing. And so, you know, Ohio is to be commended for maintaining a focus on this process, to refining the process over the years to make it um, more and more effective and more and more usable by people in schools and to provide the support uh, tremendous support through websites, through videos, through um, face-to-face meetings, um, through the state support teams, and many other opportunities for for teachers and principals and superintendents to learn and stay current on that process. And the focus needs to be on equity, right? How can data help principals focus on equity? If we're going to have true equity, and we're going to really focus on every student learning, it can't be done without understanding what's working, why it's working, and how we can replicate those practices, or what's not working, why it's not working, and what we need to do differently to meet the learning needs of all students. And um, it's, that's a leadership challenge 
for, for principals in particular because of time, energy, expectations, you know, the, the accountability that they have as leaders of schools. But in your many schools who do that well, principals are intimately involved in that process. They support teachers in that process, and they provide the autonomy to teams to make decisions based on data that are in the best interest of students. And with a focus on equity, equity is not possible without that process in place because people then rely on assumptions. They rely on you know, opinions, and they're not relying on data. And that data-centric, student-first way of thinking moves the needle on student achievement for every kid and um, benefits every student who comes through the doors of a school where that process is really strong. Wonderful. Thank you, Kathy. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to the OLAC podcast series. Our next episode will give us a chance to hear more from Dr. Lassiter about everyday courage and specifically about the three cups of courage. I am Stanley Dudek. I provide support and technical assistance for OLAC podcasts through the University of Cincinnati's Systems Development and Improvement Center. Credit for our podcast music goes to Expendable Friend, whose musical composition is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.